are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Welcome to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. Today, we will be talking about the impact that leadership can have on mental health, as well as the access to mental health care. Today's guest is 20 plus year retired Master Chief and the Don't Give Up the Ship podcast host. Hello, the Guts What's host. Up? Yeah, How go we ahead doing? and introduce yourself to yeah, those who D-Guts don't is know fine. I, I, we, were just, we were just talking about how weird it is to not call me by my name, but... I don't know. I'm not letting it go until I absolutely have to. Um, when I get Joe Rogan famous, if that ever happens, or at least like on Navy levels, Joe Rogan famous, maybe I'll start using my name. But um, yeah, so like you, I mean, you said it, it's a pretty, uh, I, I would imagine for the audience, because we publish this on my platform as well, that like they kind of know my background mostly, but I was a submariner 21 years, retired in September, uh, you know, long and adventurous career, I guess. But um the you know like the i got i went on the the adventure of the the degus podcast platform thing based on a a frustration of what i was seeing uh as an a school i was an a school instructor and a chief at the a school and then i became the sel and we had a lot of students like reaching back asking for help with leadership development and then that led to a bunch of other like uh issues that have arisen over the time I've been doing it where we've just recognized these gaps where the the Navy's not providing the robust leadership development and education that sailors deserve and and what can we do about that because um like you going through the entire life cycle of a career until you're a chief or senior chief and then ending up at the senior enlisted academy is not the answer and you know like you can you can say oh but this oh but that like and like ELD and it's like that's not a, a thing that's answering the question at least right now maybe I'll be proven wrong in five years but and I hope I am, but here we are. So, um, and then that, that kind of evolved into like where I was aiming at a junior sailors, then it evolved to just everyone and a lot of leadership engaging, which makes sense, but that's not who I was aiming at initially. And it turned out I had more like board eligible first classes and like chiefs and senior chiefs listening than anyone else, um, which turned out to be a good thing because those are the, like the, they need they need the stuff just just as much as anyone else. And I was looking at it more like, let me start at the beginning uh, and help these kids that just don't know what to do. And then it, I recognize, well, they don't know what to do because the leadership and competence that exists above them because they've never been taught what to do either. And then it's just this doom cycle of like the blind leading the blind. And we we end up with, you know, extremely stressed out sailors with acute mental health issues, including me, by the way. And we can talk about that, too. But like the last six months of my career, I was on limb due for mental health. And, you know, like some of that was like external. Um, but a lot of it, it like I got I was already seeing a therapist and I was already uh, dealing with an anxiety and insomnia issue when some other stuff happened. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I I recognize that as a gigantic issue, and that and everything, arguably, I, I'm sure somebody could dream up an example where it's like okay, maybe not that, but like 
everything that it, that sailors complain about on meme sites and on Reddit and everywhere that they have a, an outlet is you can trace it back to fail, like leadership failure, just leadership incompetence. And I'm and so, sure like, over the years, right, over the years you've seen it evolve, right, because now mm-hmm. we have facebook and instagram yep. and tiktok and now reddit and the the thing that has evolved within even just the most co- last couple of years is now there's the anonymity factor right so you can mm-hmm. go on and be anonymous on these facebook yeah. groups and like really share the raw truth about yep. what is going on and yeah. it's, some of that stuff is just wild like yeah it's there's a really there's a really great Facebook group. I don't know if they're still active, but they were called Saving Sailors. I imagine they still are. Um, and it was uh, a guest I had on that was, uh, her name was, uh, and I always kind of butcher her name, but it's uh, Beata Batista. Uh, she runs a p- platform that, and again, like I, I don't know how active she is still doing that, but I know she's still on the social media account because I see that all the time. It's called To Go Ashore. And it was like it was the design was uh, she did a podcast for a little bit. And I think that kind of fell off. because She's busy with work and she's a single mom. Um, but then she her her idea was to try to set up a platform to assist sailors with transitioning out of the military because she didn't think there was enough resources. And that was kind of like just another one of the things we're failing at as an organization. So she was going to do that. And then she introduced me to there was it was a submariner chief um, that's an, originally started it with just a post. And then based on the post going viral, he like created this group and you can kind of go there, share your story and like get dialogue with other people that have gone through similar things and stuff. And it's really cool that those types of things exist. And we have those tools uh, like social media to do that. But then also like and, and I, you could make an argument that we just weren't perceiving them on the same level that we are now because of all those tools, right? Like everybody has a a mechanism to express where they're at and how they're doing that they didn't. Cause like when I was where you at, you're at in your career, it was my space and I was organizing my top eight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. God, cringing (laughs) just thinking about it, but like, that's what it was. And it was like, that wasn't the, you didn't have the type of functionality or, or ability to like communicate and reach out quite like we do. I mean, now it's just good God. I mean, you could get a, an itch that you need to scratch and the whole world finds out about it. Like, because you it's, there's just so many ways to, to do that. Um, but I think there's a lot of really positive things that come from it for sure. Um, but I also think it can exacerbate it quite a bit. Like I, I've noticed for for me personally, my anxiety is not like I have to filter what I take in. If that, like I have to curate what I'm consuming. Like my wife likes to watch like reels and just like all this crap on the internet and she'll find something wild and want to show me. And I'm like, what is it? And she kind of, sometimes she gets kind of frustrated because she just wants to show me what she thinks is funny. And it's like, okay, great. I can't, I'm not trying to watch like some, two drunk chicks fighting in a casino. Like I don't, that, that it bothers me. Like it really does. Like just, and I just have noticed like the things that I can consume that don't affect me. And then there's things I can consume that do. And I'm just like, I'm not interested in anything that's going to like, you know, bother me in that way. And it's like mostly just mindless crap that I don't want anything to do with anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like I've, I have noticed I definitely have I personally have to curate like what I'm taking in from these platforms, even though a lot there's a lot of good to be had as well. One hundred percent. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I started listening to your podcast maybe about a year ago mm. and I stumbled upon it because I was like, I need to, like, I was desperately seeking out leadership books, leadership material. And it's not that I didn't have people in yeah. my command that I trusted that I could talk to. Cause there was a few, you know, um, that I could look to for advice, but I got, I was kind of looking also for more of like a professional, right. Type, I think type guidance. The way that I express it is competence. Like you are seeking leadership competence. You want to understand the nuts and bolts. How does it work? What are the mechanisms I can use to, to be better, do better, take the best care of my people I possibly can. And exactly. there's not, there is, and when I, like I, I've started like beating the drum for this, this phrase I've adopted of leadership and competence, which I totally stole from a book called the Peter principle. And I highly recommend everyone read it. It's, it's kind of comedic, but also not, it was written by like a, I think he's a, I don't remember if he's a psychologist or what, it, what his actual profession was, but um, he did a really interesting book in how hierarchies work. And it's just, the the incompetence I see in leadership, and when I say it, I don't mean it as like any kind of an insult. There are a ton of amazing people in the military, and I'm sure at, at every command, you can go find good people that are in those positions that will e even like desperately want to help you, but they don't have the tools. They've never been given the tools to do it correctly. And so what you run into is a lot of just like the end users of their leadership because they get promoted to leadership positions that they're not equipped or ready for. God, my nose is like, I'm sorry. I'm super cancer nose. It gets itchy randomly. And then I got like schwacked in the face at jujitsu the other day. So it's sore. So I can't even like itch it properly because I feel like I got punched in the face. Um, the leadership competence that we see it, like the end users of that leadership get extremely frustrated and pissed off and rightfully so because whether or not it's intended that way and the vast majority of the time in my experience it's not intended negatively it's just it's inept in, in incompetent attempts at, at helping people without having the tools the sailors on the receiving end take it as you're not a good person you're out to get me you're a terrible leader which i mean that one is almost objectively true like it, it's it's misunderstood a lot of the times in my, in my opinion. And, and, and they don't even know their like how to communicate what's going on there because, and I've had chiefs in the chiefs mess facing their hands, just exact, like, just like melting down because they want to help their divisions, but they don't know how like they're good people and they want to do a good job and take care of the people. And they genuinely care about them, but they can't get through to them. They can't get them to trust them. They can't get them to be receptive to any type of communication. They don't trust their chief. They don't believe he's out like about their best interest. And when you talk to those sailors, which I used to do all the time, because I was curious, I'd go up to those, those, the kids in those divisions and be like, Hey, what is going on? Like, and they would explain it to me and it's, but they were, he's an adversary. Like that chief is, terrible we don't trust him and and he did some brain dead things don't get me wrong but it's like it it was incompetence it wasn't like malicious like he wasn't doing it because he's evil and it's like there's probably like 0.01 percent of people that can end up in that position that actually are evil like i've heard those <laughs> stories too but uh, across the board generally what you're dealing with is people who genuinely want to do a good job and they want to help um, and there's all kinds of other components of how, like how 
when you're in those positions, you get overwhelmed with not like a large component of it is that unrecognized incompetence. Like the job is way harder than it should be because you have no idea what you're doing. And because it's not your fault entirely, it's like 90% of the institution in, in the way I look at it, because they never trained and qualified you for the position that they elevated you to. And that's negligent. It's like kind of like that, that fight or fight fight or flight response, right? It's like either you're going to find yourself in this position that you've never been prepared for mm -hmm. and yeah. you're going to fight through it and, you know, mm -hmm. get the tools and the resources and seek out the help that you need on your own, or you're just going to take the flight response and right. run away with it and just try to keep your head above water or and freeze. do what you can. Or right. Freeze. I just, right. I just got, let me grab it really quick. Cause it just happens to be sitting here. I just finished listening to it, but I got the book itself too. It's called the tools. It's um, there's a really cool, documentary uh about this therapist his name is phil stutz and then the book he wrote with a guy named barry michaels but the the thing on netflix is called stutz it's s-t-u-t-z yeah that's really what amazing. i thought of when he said that yep yep it's a documentary jonah hill was it, that was jonah hill's therapist right so he did a documentary with it where he shared all these tools because he's like i've never i've been in therapy for a long time i've never experienced anything like this before and it really really helped me and Andy, uh phil stutz has um uh, Parkinson's and a bunch of others. He's pretty old. So like he wanted to like get the ideas out there, but then I found that he had books as well. Um, and the ideas he has are incredible, but one of the ones he, I just listened to the other day, uh, as I was finishing the audiobook, was he was talking about how people commonly freeze when they get like, like scared, intimidated, have like high levels of social anxiety, whatever. And so not like and it's kind of like in that fight or flight vein, but they just freeze up. And so like it, in in lieu of doing something, they just do nothing. And you see that happen a lot from leadership people because they're afraid to be the one that makes the wrong decision. So they just don't make decisions. And that's equally as as harmful um, for the end users at leadership. But then again, it's like this weird doom cycle of like these people get promoted to pass their level of competence and then they end up in a position where they don't even know what they're doing is wrong. Um, and what I was talking to that new electrician about earlier was like, he told me that there was an episode where I kind of first told a story about when I was an LPO and I was, I was freaking out. I like, I didn't know what to do with my hands. And so I regressed to my lowest, lo lowest level training, which was just nothing like what I saw happen to me. And I started mimicking that unconsciously. Like I didn't even realize I was doing it. I was just screaming all the time. And then one day I saw my whole division glaze over like at 30 seconds in. And I was just like, I just stopped and looked at him like, Oh, you guys aren't even listening to me. Like I, I this isn't working. And I like, walk, I just stopped, walked out. Like they were all stunned. Cause they're just like, Oh my God, he's losing it. You know, like, but like, I just, I'm like, this isn't working and I need to go reevaluate my whole life. Like, cause this is broken. And I, I had always told myself I would never do it cause I hated it when it happened to me and blah, blah, blah. So like talking like existential crisis. So I was like freaking out. Um, but yeah, you, you, you freeze and then you don't even, it's like, you don't have the awareness to even know that you're doing it wrong. It's so bizarre. And then you, you're freezing and, or running away from your responsibilities. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, well, it's like a trial, right? And it's it's crazy because the end users, right? They get hurt as you mm -hmm. try new things and yeah. it's not the right way. Well, people mm -hmm. people are on the other end of that. So that's it, kind of like the, the, the terrible part of it too. And not all leaders are bad, right? But, right. and some of us do figure it out. Some of us I do would say seek out extra help. 
Yeah, but I don't think bad's the right word because it implies evil. Like I incompetent. Think it's, you're right. Incompetent is is I try to stick with that because it's like it's not your it's not their fault. Like it really isn't. Like I I mean if you make it to Master Chief, you've never cracked a book. Okay, we've you know we've got a personal accountability conversation to have. But like it, it, as a new chief or like an LPO, uh, like I don't expect you to. And then they're. They're getting validated by promotions and awards and positions along as they go. So then it's like they transition from like this confusion and um, and just not knowing to, oh, well, I must be doing it right. You know, and then they like there are a lot of like chiefs at, that are at the end of a career or like I, I would say probably like senior chiefs, master chiefs that get to an end of a career and think that they're like these leadership scholars just because they did a 20 year career in the military. And it's like, actually like you should really study more because if you did like, and it's not like there's not those people too. Like I'm not the only person that has studied the stuff and that like goes down the rabbit hole. Like there's plenty yeah, of many room. of your guests do and yeah, you yeah, provide extremely valuable sure. content for people like myself and other, you know, LPOs and first classes mm -hmm. who are looking for training resources and mentorship um, to get that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about the mental health part <laughs> since this yeah. is a, a mental health podcast? No. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I mean, so you talk and advocate and you know a lot about leadership and you have a lot of experience with leadership or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that you can provide a really good perspective on how leadership good or incompetent, right. Can impact a sailor or a service member's career, like mm -hmm. how explain how much of an influence and an impact that they that leadership really does have. Yeah, it's it's another unrecognized. Um, like. I'm trying to think of the best word for it, like it's another unrecognized problem that we have where I think the lion's share of what we and I mean, we like as an organization, like the military evaluate to be acute mental health issues. So like I'm not a mental health professional, but the mental health professionals that are diagnosing them and tracking them and whatever. Right. Like I've been all up in those studies about like the suicide statistics and the, the mental health issues and all that kind of stuff. It's. I don't think there's a recognition of like, OK, we have this spike in, in suicides. We have this spike in acute mental health issues. So they're like, OK, well, we got to we got to do something about this. Let's increase access to resources. Let's battle against the stigma of accessing mental health care. Let's make it OK um, for you to to seek it out um, or like alternative methods, even like the chaplain and everything else. But what they don't do is like, which I, I think is insane because so often I've sat in critiques where something goes wrong during a procedure on a nuclear submarine and they're they're in the in the documentation for the critique. They're looking for like root cause analysis. Like, yeah, OK, this went wrong. But what really happened? like what caused it to go wrong? And then you trace it back all the way to the beginning and you're like, OK, that's the thing we need to fix so that this can't we can't even get to this point, let alone have all the, the other three failures that allowed us to get to this point or whatever. So what I don't think that's happening. I don't think people are at the at, in the positions to really affect institutional change, even recognize that leadership incompetence is in. And this is, again, in my analysis, um, 
the biggest problem we have. I think if you if we if we went after solving leadership development and education and just like um, trying to to like start a life cycle and then breed out leadership and competence to the maximum extent possible, it'll never go away. Right. It's not like we're going to be perfect, but we could do a hell of a lot better than we're doing. And just it's one of those like you just it's you got to actively work on it constantly. It, like because you know, the, I just thought of something um, hmm. like the Air Force, the Army, the Marines, yeah. they all have, you know, institutionalized leadership schools. And I they had sure a conversation do. yeah, with an Air Force E6 because I work at yeah. a joint environment just the other day. And he was talking to me about all these leadership principles and all this mm -hmm. stuff that he learned as an E4. And I was like, wow, Airman, that's really- Airman leader program. Yeah. I was like, that's really awesome. And so I almost, I'd really be curious. I mean, there's also, you know, other factors like the Navy's mm -hmm. out to sea and, you know, based off the different branches, we're responsible for doing th different things. But yeah. I'd be curious to, to line up like the mental health statistics along with the leadership and see if there's any correlation yeah. amongst the branches there. And you would have to you would have to evaluate how good of a job the Air Force is doing with the Airman Leader Program as well, because I bet you if you went and talked to a lot of Air Force NCOs, they'd probably tell you it's not that great. Um, it's a hell of a lot better than nothing. <laughs> but again, it's like and it, and it probably is like maybe it maybe it's preventing 10 percent of the problems that we have. Maybe it's preventing 15 or 20. That's a huge deal. And, and that doesn't mean that the NCOs that go through it are going to like provide positive feedback. Like they might think it still sucks and need, they could do way better. And I, I don't know. I, I, I have no visibility on that at all. Yeah. Um, but like the as far the the excuses that we get from leadership on why we don't have it. I think are just garbage because the army deploys plenty and the army has NCO academies at every, like their major installations. They have like a home training installation for each MOS, which is like our rating specialties or whatever. Um, and so like I was, when I was an instructor at the A school, we were on the uh, logistics and ordnance base and they had an NCO academy there. My friend Yada taught there. Like I, I it was, they had a brick and mortar um, moose. Hush, child. I'm doing something. Um, they had a brick and mortar NCO academy, and there were requirements to go there, like and not not like prereq requirements, even though I'm sure those are real. But like like you had to go there at certain points in your career. Um, and I don't know exactly when or what their metrics are, but it was like linked to promotion. Like you had to do uh, as you progress, you had to do a certain level of leadership development and education because, of course, you do. Um, and here we are, like, you know, what I mean, like I was just talking earlier about how we deleted PSDs and just figure it out nerds. And it's just like, that's another example of like a huge stress stressor that is a, a catastrophic failure in leadership that, I mean, that your acute mental health issues. Like one of the things I freaked out about, about the MCPON AMA was there was a, a sailor that had gotten out. I believe they were retired. They were retired. Somehow it sounded like medical, but I don't, I'm not positive, but they yeah, put in the thing. He said he was homeless. He said he was homeless. And their first response was like, let us know if we can help you get your retirement orders that are, yeah, are no longer orders. Like, how about, can he get an apartment? Like maybe let's focus on a roof and like somewhere to sleep. And I don't, he didn't, he, they, he didn't, uh, expound on whether or not he had solved those issues, but like, good God, your first concern is let me get you this point, this piece of superfluous admin. Um, so yeah, it's just, 
I think that leadership and competence leads to a, just immeasurable stress on the end users of that leadership, which is E6 and below, you know, like, and, and it's not to say like, again, and we can get into it uh, later when we get to my seat of triumph. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, the, when we get to that part, we can get to, to like my experience. Um, but at the higher levels, it happens too, because they, again, these leaders, just like the, the junior sailors are under this incredible burden, not just from incompetent leadership but from like just what the stuff that's that's static like the stuff that is just part of what we do here that's already hard and stressful right like our mission requirements are already hard and stressful our op tempos are are uh like you guys go into a basement and do all this crazy creepy things you can't talk about with anybody and like like there's all this wild stuff that happens that is already difficult and stressful and provides me with anxiety and insomnia and all these other things so I already am doing this like job that is unfathomable to most civilians. So you already have like this really abnormal level of stress. Um, and then we like, oh, we're like, oh, wait, we're not done. <laughs> Hold my beer. And they like leadership and competence piles on and, and it's just exponential. And then all of these things that like they're burdened, like we come out with all these administrative requirements and all these programs and the good idea fairy and wherever these nav admins are coming from, just dropping all these new and exciting requirements and programs and stupidity on you to the point where it's like, you don't have time to do anything like except be stressed out and like get and, not and enough you sleep. Know what, you know, what's crazy is that like, for example, you know, I work my job, right? I say I, but I'm I'm talking about your typical E3, E4, yeah. E5, right? You, you're doing your job. You're dealing with the day-to-day -day stresses. You know, you want to go home for the day. But like you mm -hmm. said, now we have all these other requirements that we have to get through, like training or mm -hmm. updating infast or, yeah, you know, favorite. going to watch or just doing yeah. all these other things. And so you have the mm -hmm. leader, right? Your first line leader. And I always... Um, put that position on the LPO to kind of mm -hmm. have your back and make sure that you're okay and taken care of. But a lot right. of the LPOs don't, they either don't feel empowered or they don't think that the right thing to do is to put it off and save it. Right. They think the mm -hmm. right thing to do is get it all done. Boxes. Today. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> they don't Leadership realize, yeah, yeah, they don't realize 100%. that the sailor is suffering because of it. And right. so like, I just had a conversation, um, with another first class the other day about that. And I had to tell him like, look, at the end of the day, like we have to, we have to prioritize and yeah. sailor, sailors pay, sailors career and sailor safety are the three things that should be prioritized, not right. the training, not their in fast that can wait another day. Well, we cannot. There's a push and pull with, with, mission requirements because like when you say training i think you're talking about like uh no i'm NKOs, talking about like a, a gmt I'm right like, about like stuff that doesn't really matter that much exactly um, but yeah i like and i also to, to your point a second ago like i think a lot of times the lpos in those positions do know that they shouldn't like this isn't the right answer necessarily but like I as a senior chief department chief on a submarine, I, I was in positions where I'm like, this isn't what we need to be doing right now. And I've even been in meetings where like the entire chief's mess is like telling the the triad, like, don't do this. Like like we're, we were in a place where like the crew hadn't had any sleep. We had been drilling and killing and getting ready for inspection. And then, oh, my God, a security drill requirement hadn't been met. 
And so like, we're just like, don't, this can wait or wave it or whatever. Like this, the crew is like run ragged. They all needed sleep, including the chiefs. And we're just like, this is dangerous. Like we're trying to operate the submarine safely, which is always trying to kill us like all the time. So we need to be alert and like prepared to do that. But on top of that, you're demanding all these other things of us. And it's like, to be clear, I was on a ballistic missile submarine whose real mission is like it's nuclear deterrence, which nuclear deterrence manifests itself as punching holes in the ocean, going five knots to nowhere for long periods of time, just in case World War Three breaks out. So do we really need to do all these drills all week, every week for the entire time we're out? Like, so there's there's a lot of leeway, but it's like these commanding officers are terrified of complacency and they're terrified of any reportable metrics slipping because they want to be full bird captains when they grow up and, and potentially flag officers. So it's like you you just get this weird, I don't know, like um, inability to like let things fall off the plate. Like some stuff's not important when you're operating a nuclear submarine at sea. It's just not like. And that's why try- we have to get on the same page with our mm-hmm. priorities. And right. in your case, in that example, is the safety of your crew. Yeah. Like that is way more important than a check in the box, this mm-hmm. metric, like. But those don't they don't a lot. And, and some of this is probably unique to submarines. And, and but like some of it's not where they're more worried about what upper echelon commanders are going to think or what they're going to say in their their email that they send or the nasty gram they get than they are about sailor safety and sailor quality of life. They probably and don't even see it like that, to be honest. They, don't. they probably not, don't. Yeah, it's not. Important. I don't think that's how they're measuring it at all. Mm-hmm. I just think that they get caught up and and like. They're like, no, we have to do this. It's too important. Oh my God. We have, yeah. And they just get tunnel vision and they're, they're not recognizing the, um, the strain it's having on those, the people that are responsible with actually making the thing happen. But then also a lot of times you get people that just kind of forget what it's like or chalk it up to, oh yeah, it was hard when I was junior too. Shut up. You know, like it, and okay. Yeah. It was hard when I was a junior sailor. It was like mind bendingly difficult, but also there was a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff going on today that was not going on in 2002. Like I was, when I was on a submarine as a second class, all I did was wake up, stand 12 hours of galley watch captain, get off watch, go work out. Like I was in prison, eat, go back to sleep. Like that's that my routine. It was like prison. Like, but I didn't have collateral duties. I didn't have any other demands on my time. It was hard enough to do what I was doing. But I mean, I was getting like, especially once I was like qualified, because like you get in your submarine dolphins is a thing. Like you're not sleeping more than like five hours, six hours if you don't have your fish. But like once I was completely like qualified, senior rate, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like a, a senior second class that's qualified all the things I need to be. Yeah, everybody just left me alone. They're like, yeah, as long as lunch is good, nobody's got anything to say to you. Like my chief would like occasionally need some like paperwork done or whatever. But like, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't charged with doing anything other than my primary duty. That's not real anymore. You've got everybody's got something extra to do. Even on my last boat as a department chief, like every one of my junior guys had some, some even if it was like a little thing, just so I could be like, hey, you're helping. You know, like everybody had something extra outside of their primary duty, big, small, multiple things. And then you've got all the administrative demands, like you were mentioning, of NFAS and all the stupid GMTs and all that. The only time I went to GMT is when they called us all to the Mestex to talk about something, but that was it. There was no NKOs. There was none of that crap. 
And so like there are demands, whether whether you want to like act like they're as hard as what you did back in the day or not, it's like there are a tremendous demands on sailors that exist now that weren't there when I was that guy. And the demands of my job have not changed at all. Like it's just as difficult to be a, a submarine galley watch captain now as it was in 2002. But now you also have to do all this other stuff. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing it. I, and I think you're seeing it reflected in retention. They see, think you're seeing it reflected in recruiting. And I think you're seeing it reflected in acute mental health issues. Like, And I think that it is a thing. And I think that if our if our first line leaders, you know, your mm-hmm. LPOs, your chiefs, your senior chiefs, they have this access to the E1 through the E5. They, it's like that's their gatekeeper almost. Like you're their leader. You're supposed to yeah. shield them and protect them mm-hmm. from all things that that could cause, you know, right. issues to their career, to their health. And when we're not doing that, um, then it spirals. and. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes the sailor feel like you don't care about them or you don't have their best interests at heart. And, and that's, I don't think that that people, that leaders, right, they're they're not mm-hmm. doing it on purpose. So what would you say to, you know, the E6, the E7, the E8 that may find themselves in a position, you know, where they're trying to just meet the mark, but they don't know how to navigate taking care of their sailors at the same time? Get hot start learning like you just you you look at it like uh, the submarine community is very good at training and qualifying people to do what they're supposed to do strategically tactically to operate the submarine and get the mission done so it still baffles me to this day that they don't take leadership development seriously at least in my community because we're so hyper focused on just technical competence and proficiency and all those things right so you look at it like that you you are at a loss when you're in these positions because you are not trained and qualified to do what you're being asked to do. You are promoted based on erroneous criteria. I'm looking at you as a, as a, um, can I say your rate? Is that okay? Or mm-hmm. do you want me mm-hmm. to not? Okay. No, so as a CT, well, I think I did already. God, um, should I ask? <laughs> but so like you as a CT doing what you do, right? I'm going to promote you to chief based on what exactly your technical competence Maybe I got to observe you in an LPO role of some of some form, right? Every every community has different requirements for what you need to have. Like maybe you were a shore LPO in, in your case, that's probably almost entirely relevant. Um, but like there's a lot of communities where it's like there's exceptions where maybe you don't need to be an LPO. Maybe you can do this instead. So maybe you got a little bit of a leadership role as an LPO for a, an, at least enough time to get it on an EVO. And then you're promoted to chief. The lion's share of what we use to promote people to leadership positions is evaluating technical competence and an individual's ability to excel in whatever role, like a collateral duty or getting a degree or getting personal awards or doing well on the the PRT or whatever, right? It's all individual metrics and I'm measuring you on your ability to do a thing, right? And hopefully you've been in a leadership position where I've at least been able to get a small snapshot of you in a leadership position. And then we can get into truth and reporting and how garbage the eval system is and reporting that to somebody like me when I'm at a selection board. So the representation I get is false as well. So I'm, I'm promoting you based on erroneous criteria to start, right? Where you're not getting leadership development and education. You're not put in roles where I can eval- I can like robustly evaluate your ability and make sure that not only do you know this stuff, but you're able to actually do it in real life. 
and then promoting you to a position like chief. I'm promoting you based on, and they say this at the selection board in the briefing rooms. They're like, we're selecting for potential to be a chief petty officer. Like you're analyzing all these documents and you're selecting on their potential to do this job well. So I'm not selecting on documented performance in leadership positions. I'm selecting on, I'm selecting the people that I think have the best potential to not fail. Like, and that's insane. And so for those people, it's like, get out there and get after it. Like get at, like access all of the platforms and the resources that exist, including mine. And like, I was a big Jocko guy. Like I read all the, the mm -hmm. extreme ownership and dichotomy of leadership and, and mm -hmm. listen to his podcast and that it evolved from there. But, but extreme ownership, I mean, that was, that spoke to me because that's how I viewed it. And, but it was a lot of people pushed back against my, uh, my way of doing things in real life. And, but then when I read that book, it was extremely validating of like, I'm not wrong. You're like, I like all you're wrong. Damn it. Like, and, oh and I can meet you. God. That's so crazy that, that you said it was validating, right? Because yeah. every single day I, I find myself at work or not, I mean, not every day, but just I find myself in these positions where mm -hmm. I'm like, I read this, I studied mm -hmm. this, this is mm -hmm. what this book had told me. It makes and sense everybody's to me. treating you like you're crazy. <laughs> oh, not, not just or not treating me like I'm crazy. Yeah. Or yeah. just not like, like, why aren't we doing it this way? And it's like, well, right. because we've always done it this way. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, am I wrong for thinking that that was the right way you're, to do it? So you're not wrong. There, there is, yeah. there is a, a tremendous amount of pride tied up in, the identity that people build around being chief petty officers. And I think that's something that needs to be wired into the way that we build chiefs is this isn't your identity. This is a thing that you do, right? So like you need to be okay with admitting that you're wrong. And if, if a, a chief who is, who has their identity conflated with the idea of being a chief, it's like in order for them to admit that they're doing it wrong, they need to burn their entire identity to the ground. That's not a small ask, right? But if you can successfully separate your identity as a person from this job that you do, and and like you're allowed to be passionate about it, like you're allowed to be like I, there's a significant part of who I am that was heavily influenced by being. I mean, look around the room, like heavily influenced by being a chief, right? And I know the listeners won't be able to see it, but they've yeah, seen they it before. Yeah, they can't see, right? but he has all his like chief yeah. paraphernalia in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a collector. I'm a historian. I'm all kind of like a like a, a hobbyist historian, but like I collect. I have chief combo cover anchors over here. I have a case full of like historical submarine dolphins over here. I have all the stuff. It's like a museum in here, and. It's very important to me. Like I identify quite a bit with being a chief. Did a lot for me growth wise, maturity wise. Like I learned a ton, but it's not who I am. It's what I did. And as soon as I was out of the Navy, it, like I had somebody ask me if I was struggling with um, like the transition. And I was like, not really. No. Um, and, and I think that's like that's the primary reason is I, I was and I don't even know why I think it was because when I saw people whose whole identity like the meme like whose whole identity is being a chief and like can't go out in public without like a chief shirt on or like a master chief hat on or whatever. I, I didn't like it. I, it grossed me out. And I'm like, this isn't who I am. I'm way more than this. And I think it's OK. And I and I think that like I, I had this moment uh, in boot camp. There's, we used to do this thing called service week. I don't think it's been real for a long time, but 
there was a week where you would get detailed to all these different things. It was like FSAing and boot camp. If it, and some quite literally for me, because they were like, Oh, you're a cook. You're going to go work at the galley. But they also had people like at the drill hall, helping the RDCs with uh, all the marching and drill stuff. And then they had some people over at some other place helping them with, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like there's a bunch of different like places you could go. Um, I think there was like a laundry place. It was just like, you were effectively an FSA. Um, and I was, I, I was one of the, what they called swabbies at the galley. So like I had a paper hat on and, uh, like you, there's different positions and I became a line captain. And then like, we were just like, we didn't have a lot of oversight. It was really strange. Cause back then, like in boot camp, like the whole time, like you, you could never escape an RDC, but then during service week, I mean, there were, there were people around that were supposed to be supervising us, but they, I mean, weren't doing a great job. And the RDCs were off doing RDC things. They would just march well, us to our place. My division went to yeah. McDonald's when we were what? in boot camp. So, uh, of course you did. <laughs> um, and probably got an hour of phone time every day. And all. no, I'm just playing. Um, but the the what happened? The story is so like we were just doing like we didn't have a lot of supervision or guidance. We showed up. Um, somehow I became a line captain, which is like the king of the FSAs. Think of it like that. So like. And then when you were on your like last few days, there was like fresh people coming in. And so I'm teaching them how to do what I was doing. High five. And I'm like a turnover and leaving. So the, the way they would do it, they, you would write something on you would write your position on your little white FSA hat every day. Um, and so we would write line captain. And then when it was your last few days, you'd write line captain and then in parentheses, you'd write retired, like, cause you were on your way at the door. And so it was just a thing. Everyone was doing it. So I just did, I just did what everyone else was doing. Cause I didn't know, like I was just trying to conform, um, which is hilarious because what I got yelled at for, I just got face punched by an RDC, like, like snatches my hat off my head. What the hell is this recruit? Uh, and he goes, are you an individual? And I'm like, yes. And he's just lost his mind. <laughs> I did, Cause I, I didn't know. I'm like, am I an individual? I think I'm an individual. Yeah. Like I was terrified. And so like I, I said, yes. And he just launched into this tirade about how I'm not an individual. I'm like part of the, you know, like I'm a sailor in the Navy. Like we're all the same. Like he, it was basically like that break them down and build them back up concept. I don't, I don't think that that's healthy. And I don't think that it's the way to go. And I mean, you maybe in boot camp, like, but as soon as they're out of initial session training, we should be having a conversation about how this is not who you are. This is just what you do albeit it's a, a an important thing and that um you have to take it very seriously and blah 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 like i don't think it's a, a healthy thing to get your identity conflated with the job that you do and that happens a lot and so what's really difficult for these chiefs is to have somebody tell them even even me like being me right it's a different thing for you to tell a chief that they're broken i like I'm a master chief. Like I retired yeah, a master I chief. I don't do that. <laughs> I, no, I know. I'm just saying like, I'm a bit of an authority on the topic. And then yes. even like, I, like I look to people like Paul Kingsbury. He's, a, he's a, right. Yes. But he, uh, Paul Kingsbury is a retired fleet master chief. He's, he's like objectively and unarguably an authority and he on has all published things. books. About yeah. That. Yeah. Right. And he will tell you that there's a ton of things wrong and that people need to like lean into this leadership development education. Blah, I've blah. listened he, to his episode on your podcast. I found that mm, very useful. Yeah. He's a great dude. He's going to be on again soon, but he's, he, and he's very passionate about this stuff. And so it's, it's interesting to me because he seems like a bit of an anomaly as far as like when he got to that position, he was being kind of vocal about some of the stuff and he got a lot of pushback for it. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to admit that you're in, in you're incompetent when it comes to the, the thing you're charged with doing, especially when you've been promoted and validated so many times. So, but the ones that are actively seeking it, of which I find there are many, um, and hopefully there are some that are those types of people that hear me and slowly convert to the idea of like, okay, maybe I have some things to learn. Right. And it's, it's the, the answer is start training and qualifying yourself. Like it's not what I would dream up as an answer in a perfect world, but you can do a hell of a lot worse by just sitting there like a bump on a log, like get in these books, get in these podcasts, get in these YouTube videos, get in all the, all the things. And I mean, even like, so Andrew that used to do the foundations episodes and me, like I was just getting a bachelor's degree on my way out of the military for a thing to put on my resume. And I got an organizational leadership one. And so did Andrew. Andrew, I think has a master's degree. And so it's like, go study it for like, for real. Like there's schools that offer this stuff that it's all online and you're getting in these leadership books and studying military history and learning all these lessons and all these different le- and there's a certain component of it that like, I, I kind of eye roll when you get into like the John Maxwell leadership stuff like the the motivational quotes and affirmations and little like the the inverse quotes it's uh where they're like um and i i I really need to get an example burned into my brain for when i'm i'm uh criticizing this stuff but they're like you know the quotes it's like a like a cheeky leadership quote that somebody puts on a meme and it's just a sentence that's like the mirror image of it oh it's it's not this, it's, it's the backwards of this that sounds better. And it's like, I could just blow a thousand holes in it in five seconds, but people are always, they're trying to like market it instead of actually educate. And it's like, you can't educate with, uh, and I, if you scroll back on my Instagram, I was doing some stuff like that just to try to drive engagement on Instagram and spread the word. And I just, I could, I did it for a little while and then it made me throw up in my mouth too many times and I stopped, but it's, it's, even that, like, I'm not a giant fan of John Maxwell stuff, but it's a lot better than doing nothing. It's not like he's wildly off base. Um, some of the Simon, Simon Sinek stuff, I think, is like he's not wrong about much. I also have a hard time listening to him because, like, what have you ever done? Like, besides write books and talk about, like, great. I mean, he's great at the thing that he's doing, but I have, a, I just have this hard time. Like, if Jocko speaks, I'm going to listen. And is that fair? I don't know. But, like, does Simon Sinek have an education in this? Is he like a PhD in some kind of, like, I don't know, like leadership science or like behavioral something or like psychology or whatever? Um, far as i can tell he's just a dude that talks about leadership stuff and it's like okay like but he his stuff isn't bad like it's just not my favorite um and that's just a personal me thing where i i have a hard time accepting i I always quote mark Wahlberg because he's like i don't take fitness advice from anybody that's not in better shape than me and i'm just like "Ah, that's a rule to live life by i feel like like i'm just like i'm not gonna listen to you if i'm in like why would i take fitness advice from you if you're not in better shape than me it doesn't make any sense. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's get out there and start training, and qualifying yourself um, in lieu of there being the infrastructure that should be there. Um, and that I think it is the organization's responsibility to provide. But in lieu of it not being there, get to get to work, like just do the same thing we do with everything. And it it's tough, but it's also like you can listen to me on your drive to work. Like you can listen to Jocko while you're working out. 
You can, you know, like there's so much you can consume uh, passively while you're doing other things. So it's not really adding much of a burden. And I would argue that it's probably just going to, it's just going to like add value. And and there's times where I I even feel like scatterbrained because I think I I feel like I'm overwhelming myself with inputs because it's like I got to fill every waking moment with an audiobook or a podcast or whatever. And it's like sometimes I like recently in probably the last six months, I've I've started to just be like, I'm going to drive in silence. Like I'm just it's like almost meditative, like because I, I, I already have a hard enough time focusing and like I, I sleep poorly and I have all these other issues. So it's like I got enough working against me without adding to it by doing those things. And that's what happens is I start to feel like scatterbrained and distracted and I can't focus and I can't remember things. And um, so it's like find that balance but also you can do a lot of this while you're doing other things and i find that um it works pretty well it's yeah, definitely a, you just you just, sometimes you just gotta ask you just gotta ask that too. for help you gotta ask where to go that too and the answer is you know either talk to somebody that has the experience listen to a podcast read a book but yeah right it's and there it's out there too interact like find mentors that aren't local find people like me that you can you can reach out to me and i'll send you an email do a podcast on your situation if it if it demands it based on like like because i was i think it was was it you that said i did a podcast on a situation you were in or was it someone else no i think it, i think it was uh i think it wasn't me <laughs> okay it was ariana i think yeah which, her name's already out there so i can say that out loud um, we'll talk about that offline because I was going to mention it before we started recording, but, um, but yeah, the, uh, I think you can, there's a lot of interaction that can happen that people like people don't go out of their way enough to go find for like, for lack of a better description, like their tribe, right? Like there's, there are people out there that can help you. You just got to go find them and they're not as far off and rare as you think. They just might not be like within arm's reach inside your shop or your command, right? But they're there. I promise you they're there. Which Um, is why like platforms like this is mm -hmm. awesome because you're getting to hear a bunch of different people's perspective and their willingness to provide support. Right. 100%. Well, um, so to bring it back towards like mental health and leadership, I will say I want to I want to share a story about a recent interaction that I had with a sailor. So I didn't know the sailor. I actually met him or her on a Reddit post. And Mm. the Reddit post was essentially like a cry out for help. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of those on Reddit. Um, But but this one really was interesting to me because he essentially he or she right was essentially saying you know, I know that I need help. I I really need help, but I'm scared that this is going to ruin my career. Like I'm really love being in the Navy and I'm worried that if I seek care that, you know, they're going to cancel my orders or they'll kick me out or I won't be eligible for these special programs that I want to go into. And so I saw that and I, I, you know, hit that person up directly and I said, Hey, you know, what's going on? Like, as somebody who has been in the Navy for over 11 years and has experience with mental health mm-hmm. and, you know, these special communities, like, like what's going on? So he or she told me that they just reenlisted, but, and then they love being in the Navy and that the problems that they were having 
um, were outside of the Navy. Like it's just stuff that they experienced beforehand. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, you're in the Navy now and the Navy has resources to help you get through this and you won't be punished, um, for seeking that help. Like that's, that's what they're there for. So that it it shouldn't be. Yeah. You You shouldn't shouldn't be. And even if you are who like, who cares? The net gain, yeah. who cares? Yeah. And and the two people, like, I, I, I'll let you finish, but Jeff Bayless and Jason Thompson are my two mm-hmm. favorite examples for that. Cause, like, like in Jeff's case, exact same situation. Like, he had a bunch of pre service trauma that was never addressed. And he tried to distract himself by throwing himself into work. And it, it destroyed him and it destroyed a marriage. And then it effectively destroyed his career um, because he was a limited duty officer. Like, he promoted just crazy fast made chief in like six years and they got picked up for LDO in like eight. And then he's, you know, driving an aircraft carrier in 10 and he's about to make full Lieutenant, which is where you're like vested as an LDO and and they can't revert you. And he gets a, he gets an argument with his wife and he's been drinking, jumps in his truck, leaves, gets in an accident, gets a DUI career over. Right. They revert him back to chief. They let him retire. So he retires as a chief and goes on to have, like he's he's having a very successful civilian career working with the Navy, like um, I forget where and I don't know that I would even want to put it out there, but um, he works with sailors every day and gets paid well to do it because he's an expert on a whole lot of like BM docking officer things. But then he has a podcast. He goes around and does talks and shares his experience and has had countless sailors walk up to him and tell them how they they saved his life. You know, like they saved their life, you know, and and Jason, his experience was was wild where he went from rate to rate to rate. Um, he was institutionalized at one point because of his trauma. And uh, when he came out the other end, like there was a point at which where they said, yeah, like w- we uh, are not going to give you a security clearance right now, but we're going to retain you. And he ended up as a BOSA's mate chief as well and just sailed off in the sunset. He's living his best life in, in Michigan now, which exactly. is where I'm from. Yeah. Those like, are both like really good success stories. And yeah. it, it was heartbreaking, right. For the sailor right. to feel that way. And, and mm. my first question outside of, you know, what's going on was, you know, did you talk to your LPO? Like, did you talk mm. to your chief? Like, do you have somebody that's there yeah. to support you at your command? And mm. why, why don't you feel comfortable talking to them? And mm. in, in his or her case, it was because he was scared that if he brought it up to his leadership, that it was, they, it was gonna, they might retaliate and try to get him kicked out. And I just, it could be because he was just not educated enough, Yeah. but I wish that he felt comfortable to go to at least his LPO or that, you know, wherever he was at the stigma of him getting in trouble for seeking mental health care could have been removed because I just hate like, then, then you know, he got even more real with me. He or she, as the conversation went on, and mm. they were just like, you know, if I don't get help soon, then I'm scared that I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. And I said, you know, you need to talk to your PCM, and mm. if it's really bad, you can go to the ER. And if you don't want to do that because you just refuse, like at least reach out to Military One Source and mm. and see if there's, there's a civilian provider too, that like, you can. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah so I gave him a, a list of resources that he or she Good. could use and I hope that it helped, but I just, it just hurt my heart that he was yeah. so scared to seek yeah. care and, and that he didn't have the support that he should have had. Yeah. And some of that's probably an irrational fear. Um, some of it may be leadership and competence installing a fear that it's not as it's not as real as they think. Like, yeah, if you brought it to some incompetent leadership, would they push back? Maybe they eye roll. Maybe they judge you. Maybe they even like give you a hard time about it. Um, but there you're not going to get run out of the Navy as as a punishment for seeking mental health care. That's that's like it's such a hot. T- it's like saying you're going to get run out of the Navy for sexual assault, like being a victim of sexual assault. It's like they're, they're That's just not real anymore. It's going to get elevated to a point that like it, i mean i can tell you just walking the deck plates as a as a chief on the boat like not even as the as the guy wearing the cookie on a submarine if i had heard some shit like that i would have ate all those people's faces and walked that kid up to mental health and this is pre me getting my own mental health care like that's not you don't get to play around with that you don't get to like get a vote at all. You're not a mental health professional. You don't know if this is real or not, and you're not qualified to make that judgment uh, regardless. So it's like you when that stuff comes up, you just go right to the flow chart of like, OK, what's step one? We're going to get you to your PCM, get your referral. If it's emergent, we'll go to the emergency room or we'll do something else. And you just go into that mode like you start treating it like someone's physically injured. Because it's exactly. like if they're not now, they're going to be if you don't deal with this properly and you you shirk the responsibility that is yours to go find this person to help. Yes. So that's what what kills me about it is that uh, I I fear that this situation is more like a perception of a phantom threat where it's like worst case scenario. And I know it's it's really difficult to deal with, especially at the junior levels when you're still struggling with sense of belonging to the organization, when people start ostracizing you and treating you like you're weak for seeking out this help. It's really hard to deal with. But when you when you do that and it's and again, like I don't even it's probably not even realistic to put this on a person in that position. But it's like when you get on the other side of it, which I know it's difficult to see when you're in it. Um you're just it's everything's infinitely better like i the fact that i ended up the way i ended up like i'm an infinitely better person i'm healthier i'm happier than i've ever been in my entire entire life and in, in, like as far back as i can remember having like spent 18 months with a psychologist and i was on medication for a while for like severe anxiety and like it it helped in in ways I don't even like know how to quantify and I'm an infinitely better person because of it which is the the lessons to be pulled from like Jason and Jeff is like their situations were like so like they were so insane and it would have been so easy for them to give up like it would have been so easy for them to become statistics but they didn't and now they're candidly sharing their stories and advocating for this stuff and it blows my mind every time I hear him talk about it like because it breaks my heart. Like, like you were saying, like it breaks my heart to hear that kids are, are talking about like, like giving up just be, and it's like, at the end of the day, this is a job that you're doing. And if, if you're in such extremists that you can't do that job, walking away is an option. Like I, I got on a Reddit thread the other day. I mean, probably about a week ago. And I was trying to, articulate it diplomatically but i mean what i wanted to say was just leave 
go home, deal with the consequences, but at least you're alive and you can get access to mental health care. Like it, at the end of the day, like is it's not worth your life. It just isn't. I mean, yes, there are scenarios in the military when we're doing our mission where we consciously, while trying to mitigate as much risk as we possibly can, we we risk our lives and it's a calculated risk and we understand that that's part of the mission and I could die. Like I understand that to be a, an objective reality of my career field, but it's it's a risk that we take as part of the mission. I elected to do that going in. Everybody's doing it with me. Uh, share diversity, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, this is a whole different thing. And it's, this is not what, this is not what the job is. Like you shouldn't be, your life shouldn't be at risk when we're not doing the mission. Like you're like, you shouldn't, it's not, that's not what we're, we're not, we're not losing people in peacetime. This doesn't make sense. So it's like when, when these situations present themselves, burn the whole thing to the ground if you have to, to get help, but get help. And, and I mean, I, and I'm in the unique position to become a megaphone for some of these people. And I'm happy to do so. Like, cause there's been a couple situations where I've gotten involved and got my, a couple of my IDC friends involved and called hospitals and said, Hey, what are you doing with your life? And why does this person not have an appointment yet? And then the next day they have an appointment, like weird. And that was something I talked about recently on a podcast where it's like, you can fix more of this than you think as leaders if you just engage. And it's generally, especially for khaki wearing people, it's generally as simple as picking up the phone with your like what the F face on or tone of voice in this case. Like all you got to do is call up and say, this sailor's been trying to get an appointment for weeks. What is going on? Or better show up at that like mental health desk and just I demand would, accountability. Limit it to the khaki level because somebody like me, sure, I go 100%. hard for my sailors yeah. and I will, yeah, scream from the yep. rooftop if I see yep. something that's wrong and my sailors yep. are being affected. I will go to the right khaki oh, yeah. if that's what you should get done. And yeah, you should. So. You absolutely should. And a lot of times, like what you'll find is if so, like if, if, uh, like you go in in that in that role right so like you walk into the hospital into the mental health floor or whatever and you're like i want to see somebody wearing khakis right now and like my sailor's been waiting and they're an extremist and they need an appointment right now and don't tell me that you don't have time and blah blah and like you're freaking out about it you're gonna get a concerned chief coming out going hey what's going on like what are we doing and they're gonna find out about it and it's gonna be some type of failure in the system or some type of thing that that chief can use their sphere of influence and power to just fix immediately. And it's like, that's why I keep telling people like it, it's been a thing recently where I'm just like, just engage, just worst case scenario. They say no. And then you can elevate it and you can do all these other things and you can, you can look at alternative mechanisms to get them to like plug the gap while you figure out why the hell they don't have an appointment and why there's such a backlog and everything else. But not engaging isn't like it gets you nowhere and it's like you just shrugging and saying well there if there's an eight week wait there's an eight week wait like no unacceptable like get get a different answer than that or i'm gonna lose my mind um but yeah there it, and a lot of times it's as simple as engaging it just is like and and for you know the junior service members or the junior sa uh, sailors you yeah. know don't be afraid to ask your LPO yeah. or your chief for help or tell them what's going mm. on. Do not let fear be the cause of you right. not asking for help. 
And if you get that pushback that you were afraid of, let's say worst case scenario that you were dreaming up as you had all that anxiety about approaching your your LPO or chief, if it goes horribly off the rails, right? Okay, well, they're not going to help you. That doesn't mean someone else won't help you. That doesn't exactly. mean you walking to an adjacent work center. Like a lot of people will t- like say that um, E5 and below like on a ship, right? Like they could probably very accurately, like if you had everybody do it, they would probably very accurately rank the chiefs in the in much the same way they're ranked by like the CMC and the command. So if you if you have that perception already, What's the worst that could happen if there's a chief that you think is like you've heard is great and their sailors love them and they advocate, take care of them, blah, blah, but you don't have a relationship with them. What's the worst thing that could happen by you approaching that chief? They will help you. They'll I help, one like, of one of know, my yeah. favorite chiefs is that go to mm-hmm. so many sailors outside of her mm-hmm. division and department come to her because she's going to help them. She's going to help. And that's the same thing with me when I was on the submarine. It was like. I was the one that was going to get you what you needed and get and advocate for you and get you the help. And I'm very like I was very um, like institutional expertise focused, like not that I was bad at my job, but I was more focused on the ways that I can help sailors and meaning and it, for it to be like meaningful and long lasting is institutionally like by having expertise in the programs that like they would go to admin for help with a pay issue and admin wouldn't even know what the hell they were talking about a lot of the times. And it's like, oh, well, jokes on you, nerds. I read the book. And so then we go to war. Up, yeah, oh, the yeah. CPPA manual yep. and called DFAS re- and done all this too. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can read too. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, you you or like eval issues. I submitted BCNRs on behalf of sailors to fix their records and get them paid money they were owed and all these things where a whole bunch of other people had told them, no, that's not real. You can't do that. You're just, you're SOL. Like you can't just deal with it. And it's like, no, I'm not going to just deal with it. Like you need to get this sailor an answer or some type of adjudication for the issue that they have. And that doesn't just apply to mental health. It applies to everything. Like it's unacceptable to me that a leader just lets things lie with like the, the I forget who I was talking to, but it was like the, a uh, uh, thing where i had a sailor screen for the white house it got shut off all it took was me calling and asking a question that was it and then everybody threw rose petals at my feet when she got selected to go to the white house i'm like why i just did what i feel like everybody in my position is like duty bound to do and it wasn't like i put a whole ton of bandwidth and effort into it i just picked up the phone and called a master chief and said hey what's going on here and they told me and i'm like oh i can fix that tomorrow and we sent them an email with all the documentation they required and a couple of sign offs by like the detailer and and somebody else and that was it and it was turned back on and then she got selected and she went and it's like that wasn't even a little difficult like all i did was talk to another chief and it, it really can be that simple but my cmc was coming to me going like most people would have just let that lie and taken the answer of your drop from selection from the people screening for the white house and i'm like yeah but why like why is that a thing anyone's willing to accept like if i if i had called them and they gave me a really great answer for why her, her screening had got shut off and why it wasn't going to get turned back on. Then at least I can tell her. And that was all she was asking for. It was like, I just don't understand what happened. They wouldn't tell me why. And I found out why. And it was the reasons were crap. And it was like simple, simple things that I could prove were not true. Turned it right back on again. And then she got selected. So it's like, it's not difficult and it's not something that I feel like is above and beyond at all. Like that's just a basic ABC duties and responsibilities of a leader like that. I don't, I don't and, I, and 
so many people are willing to just sit there and and like and and i go back to like the freezing thing that we talked about earlier and that's what it feels like it's almost like in absence of knowing what to do they just do nothing and that is so wildly unacceptable to me and it should be unacceptable acceptable to everyone else but i I also don't know that they have the recognition that that's even what's happening so and if you encounter one of those just go to the next person yeah and if and if they don't help you go to the next person right there is someone that will help you and it's like they're like in some way sometimes like i'm probably a, a lot more than i'm even aware of it's like somebody like you is going to be the gateway to somebody like me and it's like because you know who which chiefs are the ones to go to and that so you can be like okay go talk to this person do this thing talk like i'll help you like and i'll hold your hand we'll go into the office okay now like talk to this chief and then now they have like you're like the gateway to that relationship that they didn't have with that chief that will advocate for right, and help right them, or and that i'm so happy to or, do it yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a ton of a ton of people in your position are. So it's it's like you just got to go looking for it. And and like we were just talking about before, like connecting with people via the forums that exist, like Reddit. There are a ton of just like advocate chiefs that on Reddit that will get after it for you. And I've had some of them on the podcast. And then like for me, like I've developed this whole other like this whole second network um. In in parallel to the end of my career and then even post career, like I'm developing this just huge network of people that I have access to that I can help sailors by leveraging that I would have never had had I not done the podcast. Like I had my own network from my career and it was pretty it was pretty solid. Like I got some stuff done where I had just connected with these people all over the place. But a lot of the time, more often than not nowadays, the connections I'm using to help people are people I've. I've gotten to know from the podcast and uh, connecting with them through Reddit or through social media or through they emailed me when they found the podcast or whatever, or got recommended to me by somebody else. And I emailed them and said, Hey, come on. And then, you know, a lot of these people I consider like good friends now. And it's just like, yeah, it, it, you, there are so many ways to do it. And one of the mechanisms is, uh, and I think it's a pretty powerful one is like stuff like the forums, like Reddit or a Facebook group or whatever. Um, there's a lot of those out there with that have a lot of beneficial points of contact that you can uh, leverage if you if you reach out, which and that's the big thing is you got to be willing, whether it's behind a, a cl- like a anonymous mechanism like Reddit or or not, like be willing to reach out like they're not going to call your if they're in a group called saving sailors and they're trying to like help people with acute mental health issues they're not calling your command if you haven't yeah you know i mean like it's it's they're clearly here for not that reason and so leverage that and and those these are the people you've been looking for so leverage it and let them let them help cuz uh, there's a ton, there's a lot more people out there willing to help than i think mm-hmm junior sailors nobody nobody is alone out here yeah especially nowadays yep got a whole podcast dedicated to it now (laughs) 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 what else you got um yeah so in in a nutshell right uh leadership is very important and impactful to uh to mental health and access to care so as leaders like you and myself and everybody else out there, we just got to continue to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I'll just open the opportunity now if you want to get into your own personal seat of triumph to share it with the group. You don't have to. Yeah. But. No, totally. I, okay. I, want, I think it's really important. Um, and you caught me on an interesting day and I'll get to that. Um, but so initially for me, it was like the stress of a 21 year naval career, like really that laid the foundation. Um, and I, I was somebody that like burned the candle at both ends. I wanted to promote early. I wanted to be the best all the time. I wanted to do all the things, qualify all the things, whatever. Um, and so I, I would sacrifice a lot of other things to make that happen. Like a, a lot of free time, a lot of like my, I went uh, first boat deployed a lot, but you know, it was, probably a pretty typical fast boat submarine experience um except the first deployment we launched missiles for iraqi freedom so that's not quite that typical but the rest of it was pretty typical um and then for shore duty i just went to a naval base like a sub base worked at the galley but i was i went there to go to culinary school and get out um i was not about a career in the military at that time i was really angry and bitter and jaded and was not a fan of the organization much like every other e5 in the navy probably or pretty close <laughs> I was, I was that guy. Um, and then I had a chief that read me like a book and basically was like, if I put this kid in charge of people, he will, he will turn on and like become what I need him to be. And he kind of, I think he recognized some potential in me and stuff too. But, um, so he, we had a bunch of a school students come straight to the galley because we were super undermanned and we needed help. And so he works them out with the detailers. So we had a bunch of brand new kids and he put me in charge of a watch section right as they were showing up. So not only was I, like put in charge of this 15 person watch section, but I had probably half a dozen of these new kids uh, as well. So I was like, I, and I was like the dude that needed a haircut and looked like he slept in his like uniform. And so, so as soon, but as soon as that happened, I became the super squared away guy with shiny shoes and a, and a set haircut. And all that. Cause I, I couldn't, it, it was, it was fine if it was just reflecting on me, but then to, to be in the position of leading these people, I'm like, I can't. And then, so within 18 months, I was uh, going up for Sailor of the Quarter and all this crap. And, um, But I also started burning the candle at both ends. I, I was going to culinary school full-time, working full-time, uh, trying to get my volunteer medal by doing all the volunteer things. I was qualified base CDO and standing duty that I didn't even need to stand. I was like doing all the things, trying to promote. And then made first class and and did well in rankings towards the end and one sailor quarter at one point and all that stuff. So like I spent my whole first shore duty with the exception of like the first like six months just getting after it. Like, so there wasn't a lot of like downtime and leisure. Um, and then I, then in my infinite wisdom, I volunteered. Go ahead. All right. So, uh, I'm not sure where I left off exactly, but, um, but yeah, so like the for me, the like general anxiety, insomnia started happening uh, on my third submarine. Um, and I, I mean, I noticed like on deployment stuff, having a hard time regulating my mood. I was and, and it got a lot worse on my third submarine. Um, but I it was the first time I'd spent like a ton of time doing ships control stuff, which is uh, the watch I was standing is called diving off to the watch. And it's you're, I mean, you're this most senior enlisted watchstander on the submarine and you're, uh, the way I explain it to people so I don't have to like go down the rabbit hole of how submarines drive is like, it's like flying an airplane underwater and it's like, I'm not doing it by myself, but I'm the captain essentially like of the flying part. Like I have the offset deck, like telling me where to go. Um, and then 
he the officer that controls speed but it's like i give recommendations and then they give course they give course orders i don't do anything with that i just accomplish that by making sure the the helm is doing what he's supposed to be doing and then um we also so we're you're you're in 3d space so it's not just left right it's up down and the ship takes angles because like depending on what we're doing like you know if you point the submarine down and add propulsion it's going to go down as long as the you have to mess with buoyancy pumping water on and off the submarine and all sort of stuff but the the easiest way to explain it is like flying an airplane underwater and so i'm the guy like supervising the two people that are operating all of the control surfaces and the guy that's moving water back and forth to control like positive and negative buoyancy and then you can put weight for it enough to like control the weight. But, um so when they put me in in that position um i wasn't i didn't deal with it very well it was like i was good at it according to the people that evaluated me anyway i thought i was horribly like underprepared all the time and so like i compulsively studied like i would look at the night orders like what do we do in the next day and then i'd be in the casualty procedures and the operating procedures like just and then and the co standing orders and everything just compulsively it sounds studied. like you had like an immense pressure yeah it was on you I was very, um, cause like when I was the, the next subordinate watch is called chief of the watch and it's very procedural. Um, it's like, if this, then that it's very like, there's not a lot of, uh, gray area at all. And, um, there might be a mechanism of like feeling like you have a safety net cause you have the dive, like you have another person above you. But like I could do that and it was fine and it didn't seem to bother me much. But when I got to to where I was standing dive, where it's like kind of like the buck stopped with me. And, and also I kept getting put in positions where um, my office of the deck was like deferring to me for recommendations and advice because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And it like Ooh, it scary. freaked me out. Yeah. Like and I get it like senior enlisted guys supposed to know things. Um, but like the way Cook's career progression on a submarine happens is like second submarine, you qualify chief of the watch, second submarine, maybe, maybe, or more likely third submarine, you qualify dive. But it's like most uh, rates, including LSs, which are like, you know, the other side of the other side of the coin for supply is like they spend their entire time driving the submarine for the most part. And not everybody like sonar men are in sonar, stuff like that, but a lot. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the, um, the watch standards, they spend their entire first tour, like four years driving the submarine, which is a tremendous advantage when you are, cause then I'm like effectively the supervisory mechanism for the people driving. And it's like, but I never drove. So it's like, it's a way steeper learning curve and you never feel like you have your hands fully around it when you don't get to get all that experience and get comfortable in control driving the submarine just like just driving and and like there's a lot of I, I used to have like first two or second classes that could trim the ship just because they just knew like it was like an in in innate thing that they picked up by driving the submarine constantly and just being around when we give all those orders and when we do all those things so i didn't have that and so i always i almost felt like an imposter like i didn't even think i should be up there and i kept telling my cob that i kept telling my co that and they kept re positively reinforcing my performance and saying no you're great you're doing a good job blah 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 and so but it never went away so i was having trouble sleeping um it was the first time i started to have that like fight or flight feeling in my stomach when i was trying to sleep and i couldn't go to sleep because i was so worried about what was going to happen the next day 
Um, sleep issues were already kind of a thing, but they got a lot worse. Um, and then towards the end of that time, uh, so we, we finished all our deploying. Uh, I didn't crash the ship into anything and I didn't kill anybody. Thank God. Um, but then, uh, at the end of, so when we were done deploying at the, the very last, uh, deployment that we did, I, I was just in the chief's mess and I was blowing my nose and pressure backed up on the right side. I'm like, well, that's weird. That's not supposed to happen. And I kind of chalked a lot of my sleep issues up to just knowing I had a badly deviated septum. My brother had a similar surgery when he was a teenager. And so I figured, oh, I've just blown it off for a long time. I need to get this fixed. So long story short, went to ENT. Uh, they were like, yeah, you, you know, the, you got a badly deviated septum. We'll fix it. There's some something growing up there. We'll just take that out too and you'll, you'll be good. And then they got imaging back. And they're like, hey, actually, this is more complicated than we thought. We're going to send you to a rhinoplastation at a, an army hospital that's more equipped to deal with it. I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, I'm, I honestly made me feel better because it seemed like they were a little more, I don't know, skilled or experts or whatever. But I was like, oh, okay, bigger, bigger hospital, better doctors. Like, it, I don't know. That's just how I equated it in my head. But um, then I got there and they're like, oh, yep, yep. Benign growth, like, uh, and deviated septum. We'll go in there. We'll fix it all at once. Bing, bang, boom. You're done. I come in uh, for the surgery day and, uh, you know, I got the IV on. I'm in a hospital gown. I'm about to get rolled back and some army captain comes out and he's like, actually, we're not going to do the surgery today. We're just going to take a large t tissue sample because you might have cancer. And I was like, did you just say to me? <laughs> like, it's the first time they ever mentioned that it could be cancer. And it, there's a like a part of me that in the back of my mind, I was already thinking about the pot because you say things like benign growth or something's growing up there. I'm mm -hmm. in my mind, the way I'm wired, I'm immediately going worst case scenario. Like I wasn't necessarily like dwelling on it, but like it was just kind of in the back of my mind. Um, so when he said that, I'm like, here we go. Um, and then they so they took a tissue sample three days later i had cancer um and this was march 2020 so what's going on in march 2020 right like covid mania mm, like everybody's yeah. freaking right out in the no, thick of it nobody knows what it is and it's respiratory so like this tumor is on my olfactory nerve in my sinus so it's the worst place it could possibly be uh considering covid is what it is right and so they were freaking out um they referred me to a university hospital because it's a very exotic form of cancer it's like they said like it was like one or two in 10 million people or in 10 million cancer cases rather um so they weren't equipped to handle it at this army hospital they sent me to the university hospital who had to confirm the pathology with some specialists because it's so rare blah 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 but they were like trying to rush me into surgery because COVID, like the rules were changing every day and they were like, they might shut down the OR and then we can't take it out. And then if we have to wait six months, this could like I could if it kept growing, I could have lost vision in my right eye and all this other fun stuff. So um, they I mean, so so I basically found out I had cancer and like three days later I was in brain surgery. And so we we're freaking out about that. Um, and I was scared of the surgery, not so much the radiation and stuff afterwards, because it's just a grind and it's going to suck and whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that's deployment. I'll be fine. Um, but the getting put under and them doing the surgery, uh, that freaked me out because they said, uh, if they, cause they like, we think we can go through your nose, but it, it's still brain surgery. Like they're still like taking down the barrier between your sinuses and your brain and remove some brain tissue. Cause the tumor was like growing up in there. And, uh, but they said there's a chance if it's if we get up there and it's complicated or there's something we don't expect. They said we're going to like cut you ear to ear, pull your face down, cut your forehead out, relax your brain back and go in this way. 
And I was just oh like, my oh God. my God. And then the surgery went long. So my wife's freaking out thinking that I'm getting my head stapled back together. And um, it, it apparently went perfectly. It just took way longer than it was supposed to for some reason, um, which they never explained. But anyway, so uh, we were fr- we were just engaged at the time. Uh, so panic, like marriage license, go to the courthouse. Mind you, it's COVID. Everything shut down. Thank God they were amazing. I just sent an email to the court officer or whatever, and they opened up for me. And um, we got legally married so that like if I die in surgery, like everything goes to her. Like that, that was mm-hmm. the kind of things I'm trying to process this in three days, freaking oh out, goodness. panicking. Like I wanted to, I want to make sure she gets the house and all the things. Right. Um, and then all the benefits of like my, yeah, I mean my SGLI would have went to her anyway, but you know what I mean? Like all the other things. And so, uh, got all that done, went into surgery, everything was fine. Um, and so I get, home and a, pro- a couple weeks post-op i'm feeling really good uh pro- better than i have in a really long time because now i can breathe a lot better um and i was so i was sleeping a little bit better and i wasn't at work at all either i was just they just basically because of covid and also they were just just stay home and be healthy like just if you need if you need anything let us know but just don't even bother coming in like because i my primary duty was doing inspections on submarines and they all got shut down because of covid so like we weren't traveling or anything um, and so I, I was just home all the time and at, I felt really good and I was sleeping better, but I was like, uh, super irritable and moody and, and whatever, and didn't really understand why. Um, and then, so I think it was about six weeks after surgery, they cleared me to start radiation and radiation. Like I was doing what's called proton radiation, which is kind of like a fancier, more, it, it's fa- like a fancier version, but also they, they, um, it's very tar. <laughs> it's very targeted, so you don't get as much like tertiary exposure that could lead to other bad things. So, um, so they, when I went in, it was like it's you know it sucks, but it's you're in there for like twenty minutes. Nothing really happens. Like it it accumulates over time, and so you get a bunch of gnarly side effects. And like I had sores in my mouth and all this really like gnarly like bruising and ro- like it just looked like bad sunburn on my neck and face and all this all this the hair loss and all that crap. But um, but at the very beginning, like you go in, you do it. It's uncomfortable because they put this like crazy mesh thing on your face to keep you from moving and all this stuff. But like they, it wasn't. I felt exactly the same going in and, and, and leaving after the first treatment. Right. And that's only notable because I got to my car. Cause my, my wife came with me. I got to my car to drive home. As soon as I closed the door to the car, I started just ugly crying and I had no idea why. Like I, and my wife is like, what's wrong. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I have no idea what's happening. Um, and it, it got pushed to the back burner because radiation, right? Like I'm in the middle of, of that so the the irritability and moodiness and all that crap plus the now i can't regulate my emotions um like at all like i mean that would happen periodically where i would just fall apart like that um and i didn't know what was happening but it was kind of like ah cancer radiation like which you know what i mean like it was apparently there's something going on that I'm not fully aware of, but it's cause of cancer. And so we kind of blew it off because it just, I just got more and more, uh, like I was fatigued. I felt horrible. I was in pain. And so like, of course I'm not in a good mood and I'm not fun to be around, but, uh, I, I mean, I spent most of my day in bed and then I'd get up, go to radiation, come back, get back in bed. You know, like it was, it was pretty much 
that was pretty much the cycle. Um, but then once radiation was over and like, it, it's, it's like, uh, a snowball effect. So like it gains inertia and then you got to like, let that bleed off. So like I stopped radiation and it took like a month to get for all the symptoms and BS to go away or like the, the gnarly stuff anyway. Um, so then like, you know, I'm six weeks post radiation and I'm still like emotional and, um, snapping at my wife and snap, just being a dick for no reason. And stuff. like, it was, it, it was ridiculous. And she finally is just like, all right, like you need to do something about this. And I hadn't even realized how bad it was, um, until she confronted, like, I just needed her to confront me about it. And I, I, I'm based on life experience. I won't like it's rabbit hole. I won't go down, but like, uh, that's all it would that's all it took for her because i'm not ever going to go down a road where because i'm a moron i'm going to like blow my marriage up you know like if she tells me i got to do something about this i'm about to go do something about this right now mm-hmm. and so uh that's what happened so i went to my idc P- he said go to your pcm get a referral go to mental health so i started seeing a psychologist um so it was probably about 6 months and it it helped a lot. I was doing really well. I started, uh, that's what around when I started doing jujitsu. So, um, physical health, mental health, everything was trending up. I was feeling really good. And it was, uh, exactly one year ago today. Uh, so it was the Friday, it was Friday night. Um, so it would have been last night is when I recognized I, I just got done with like day five that week of jujitsu, which is, it's really difficult physical training. Um, and I was sleeping better and what I, and I remember being at the gas station after jujitsu and I felt amazing. Like my body felt good. I had energy and I'm like, I just got done like simulating killing grown men and them trying to kill me for an hour. And I just felt incredible. And I just, I remember it vividly. Like I felt so good and I'm like, Oh my God, this is working. The next morning I got a phone call that my brother and two nieces were killed and it was, it wasn't, uh, and I don't want to go to the details because I'll, I'll be a blubbering mess, but like it, it, the way I describe it, because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole is it was, it was not a traditional, like, I don't traditional is the wrong word, but you know, you know, kind of what I'm getting at is like, it wasn't like an accident. It was like a true crime documentary. Like it was the way that it happened. And, and there's just still a bunch of stuff we don't know. And so that it like compounded everything. And so like, right as I felt like I was cresting a hill, it just all got blown up and got way, way worse. Um, so that was, th- that was exactly a year ago today. It was, was when wow. we were killed. Um, which I, and I didn't even realize it until a few hours before we started this because, um, my wife asked me last night, we were kind of taught cause we knew it was coming. Like my brother's birthday is, um, the 11th I th- I'm almost positive um and and so I remember vividly like it was almost his birthday like it was his 42nd birthday was like you know it's about a, a little over a week after when it happened um and then my nieces were 16 and 9 and it like it it I knew it was coming because it was it's early February but it's I'm I'm the type that like I don't want to remember what day that happened mm-hmm. but I know my mom who's very similar to me um in a lot of ways but I know she ha- she has that date burned in her brain forever 
And she sent me, me and my wife a text today, just, and it was just like one of those, like, you're just in our thoughts and we love you and, and vice versa. And, and so I was like, oh, it's today. Like, okay. I was like, I, I wasn't, I knew it was like, I thought it was between the fourth and the sixth. And I was just like, I know it's like one of these days, but I, it was something like, I don't, I don't want it. Like, I don't want to remember that day. I remember mm-hmm. them on their birthdays and I remember like right. things we did and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to remember it this way necessarily but um yeah the irony was just i got that text today and then uh i knew i was gonna end up talking about it once my phone reminded me that i was doing this today and i was just like yikes it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a thing but it it, it's it's good though because like i i i like talk i'm not as equipped to talk about my brother and the girls as i am like my anxiety insomnia and all that other stuff but it it still helps to like talk about it um generally because like it i'll never know what happened and that's what's so ridiculous and i'll when we stop recording i'll i'll tell you as much as i can without ugly crying but like the it's it this way the situation happened it's like i'm never gonna know what happened or why it happened i just know that they're gone and it doesn't make any any sense and i'll never be able to put the puzzle pieces in the right way to at least be able to to know what happened so that I can then start trying to like cope with that, you know, you know, it's like, I almost just have to compartmentalize it and just accept that I'm never going to know. And that in certain types of ways, it doesn't matter because my brother was who he was and I loved him and he was a great person and my nieces were amazing. And it's like, so whatever happened that night, it's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, because it doesn't change everything that happened for 42 years before that in, in my unqualified analysis and like the things I talked to my psychologist about. But so then when that happened, uh, it was like my whole life exploded. Um, so completely off the rails. Like I was, couldn't sleep at all. Um, like couldn't control my emotions. Just like the whole, the whole thing all over again, but way worse. And so that's when, um, Psychologist immediately put me on Limdu, uh, went to a psychiatrist. They put me on Zoloft for, um, cause at first it like, it didn't do anything for the anxiety, but my mood improved, which is apparently how mm-hmm. that works. Like lower doses improve mood. And then, uh, so they upped the dose after they saw that I didn't have like gnarly side effects. Um, and then once they upped it, uh, I think it was the second time it started to like it it took the edge off of the anxiety. Like it wasn't gone, but it, like it helped me. It like brought it down to a threshold where I think like therapy and other, other tools like reasonably managed it. Um, and so, yeah, a year later I like, so I stopped therapy leaving the military with the goal of like, w- I was in a pretty good place and, and my therapist was kind of like, so what, how, what's this transition going to look like? What do you think you need? That kind of thing. And we had a conversation. I'm like, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. I know I have access to care for the rest of my life. So it's like, if, if I'm wrong, I'll just go access care again through the VA. Cause that's a transition I needed to make anyway. Cause I was retiring. So I was like, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to try to not do it at least for a period of time. Um, and I was in a good enough place too, where they gave me a 90 day supply of the meds leaving the Navy. And I talked to my psychiatrist about it. It was just like, so I think like when I get towards the end, I'm going to like wean off of it because I, I, I was really adamant about not being on this for the rest of my life if I can help it. Um, and so I, I, between 
between all of the things that I know I should be doing and that I try to do and that um, I have done in the past to try to get back on track, um, I would say I'm like, I'm not where I was the night before in certain types of ways where like my sleep was way like doing well and like the anxiety didn't feel as very present at all. Um, it still happened, but it wasn't like it was, it was under control, like, uh, or at a reasonable level anyway. Um, and I just remember feeling amazing. And now it's like, it's, it just depends, you know, like I, uh, there's days that are, are not great and days that are pretty good and, you know, everything in between. And like, I, uh, am acutely aware of it all the time in that, like, I know I need to be doing certain things. Like I know I need to, I'm trying, I try really hard, even though I, 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 it's funny, I'm saying this out loud right now because I failed really hard to do it last night. I was up to like three in the morning, but it's like, go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time, like sleep hygiene stuff is big for me. Cause I have, I have like all the things working against me. Like I have both kinds of sleep apnea. I have the insomnia and anxiety problem. I have like all of these issues that are conspiring to keep me from sleeping and keep me from doing all the things that, that help with the other stuff too. Um, but definitely in a, in a way better place. But what's interesting to me about it is it was my reaction to cancer was, um, like, of course I have cancer and it, part of that's the nihilist in me, but part of it is, uh, it felt like, like I didn't feel like at, at any point, except for the brain surgery part that just, I, there was an irrational fear mechanism there, but like, I mean, while it was probably pretty rational actually, but you know what I mean? Um, but I didn't think it was like going to kill me. Like I thought this is a really difficult experience. I'm going to have to go through to learn something. Um, and so it's like, I looked at it almost like, yep, this is going to suck, but I'm going to come out on the other end of it better. Um, and I did in a lot of ways, like a lot of the reasons why I'm, I'm as physically healthy as I am is because that got fixed. Right. And, um, had it not, I would have had all these other issues, but also like I just quality of life and my ability to breathe through my nose. So now I can do uh, like fitness and sleep better and all the stuff that I couldn't do at, at anywhere near the capacity I can do it now. And then those things all feed into me sleeping better and, and doing all these other things. I'm still not where I need to be, even with just like my CPAP compliance. <laughs> like I'm just, I have trouble falling asleep and that's like the first thing to go so that I can get to sleep. Uh, if I can't fall asleep with it on. Um, and I mean, there's a bunch of other things that I do to try to, I don't know, address those things. And it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's very much a waveform nowadays than it was like back then. It just seemed like I just kept trending up, trending up, trending up. Mm -hmm. And then that happened. Now it's kind of, it's very much like this. Like yesterday, um, there was a point right before I, and I went to jujitsu anyway, cause I know it, it'll, it'll help. But I like just wanted to like, I, I started getting anxious for some reason. I don't even know why. Like I don't have anything I could point at. I just started to feel like I just want to crawl in a dark hole and like, just leave me alone. Um, and so I laid down in bed for like 20 minutes under the blankets, just like sitting there and I set an alarm and then I got up and made myself go to jujitsu and I felt a lot better after I went. And it's, so I know there's like those things and I'm going to like, there's going to be up and down days. There's going to be times like, 
um, I, when I, I went home for the funerals in February last year and my mom being my mom, uh, just has these boxes full of pictures and she had them divided up by, I have, I have three brothers. So divided up by son. Right. And, um, so I went through all of them and like took some pictures out. Um, but I wanted more pictures than I had of, of my brother and the girls. Um, and so I bought a bunch of picture frames, uh, and I, I had gone to like a, I'm like a, uh, antique person. Like I go to like those shops and try to find cool stuff. And so I found these like vintage picture frames that I thought were really cool. And they're very like my wife's style as well, even though I thought they were cool. Um, and so like I got them and I'm like, I came into like this office is I got the box of pictures and stuff over here. I tried to start putting pictures of them and just melted. Like it was, and I like, I tried to walk out into the, uh, living room area dining room area and i didn't even make it i was going out to the garage to grab like uh, i'm addicted to kombucha and like all this i just went to go do something else and didn't even make it to the door and like collapsed and was like ugly crying and my dog's like licking my face like what's wrong mm -hmm. and uh it's like so there's days like that also where it's like it it just comes in waves and you don't expect it and i i thought i was in a place where i could do that and because I, I have pictures on the wall like that was one of the first things i did after it happened was i got some pictures and some picture frames and i have this little like photo collage right outside this door as you leave the office um so i see them every day like it's not like you, you know but for some reason it was like i saw new it was all these new pictures and all these memories and all the things and i just so it's like those things happen and then the anxiety things happen so it's just it's very much a waveform good and bad days but um yeah. but yeah and it, it, it what's what's strange to me about it though is like the it's it's so bizarre like the version of myself that i am now i'm so much happier with than i ever was like who i was before any of this happened and so the, in this really strange way and i you know obviously like i don't wish that like i'm not happy any of these things happened like i don't i didn't want to go through cancer i obviously didn't want to lose those people but like i don't know like there's something about and that's why i'm such an i've i've become such an advocate for mental health care i was always the like you know f the stigma go get the help if you need it guy before i even engaged in in any type of care myself but then when i went through it all myself and like had to overcome that anxiety i came up in a navy where you didn't do this like it was like a, a cop out you were a quitter like we had this culture on submarines where they call it tapping out like oh yeah that guy tapped out he's he or they call it going sad as well that's another mm -hmm. one that you'll hear in the submarine forces yeah i've heard you know kind of some of the old timers say yeah. that too <laughs> yeah and that's but that's what I, that's the culture i came up in so here i am this uh, master chief going over to, my, oh, I was a senior chief at the time and going up to my master chief IDC going like, okay, what does me accessing mental health care look like? And I was like nervous and intimidated and I'd overcome all that like baggage from before where everybody was telling me this is what quitters do. Even though I was the guy also saying the, the things you're supposed to say, like, mm -hmm. you know, advocating for the care. And so now it's, I, I, I remember talking to, uh, Jason and Jeff before any of this, like this was before cancer and stuff. Like I did those podcasts with them and I remember being so freaking impressed with them. Like there's such, there's such a depth and breadth to their character and, and like their perspectives on things. And they're so in touch with like 
who they are, good, bad, and ugly, and like what that means and like how they can learn things from it. And I just remember being blown away by how in touch they were with like who they were and their strengths and weaknesses and all the stuff. And then like having gone through all this stuff now, it's like, I feel like I, I'm that guy now. And like, mm-hmm. and it's, it sucks. The scar tissue sucks, obviously like you, you, cause it never goes away. Like that, the, the thing that you're dealing with, like it's, it, that's never, it's never going to be gone. Like, and even like cancer, like I have all these tertiary symptoms or like, like issues that, that, will never go away like shooting pain in my jaw like i gotta do these saline rinses in my, with my sinuses i got um tinnitus hilariously for military people i got tinnitus from doing radiation so like my ears ring constantly but it's not because i of any like noise exposure it's because i got cooked from the neck up um all kinds of crap that just like it'll never go away it's always going to be there it's always going to be a thing i have to deal with um, and it'll always remind me that like that happened. Um, and like, I'm like probably going to get like cataracts in the next 10 years and like all this just crap that's going to happen. Cause I got my face blasted with radiation. So I don't know, like it for me, like it's, it's this weird, like evolution that I didn't like I, I never saw it coming even though i knew there was things i would need to learn i didn't see like a whole new version of of myself and like a whole because i i mean i fancy myself a pretty mature like uh you know world traveled mildly educated person like i thought i was pretty like i thought i had i had done and seen a lot at that point and and um had matured to a level where it's like like not that I didn't think more wisdom and experience from life would come, but I didn't think it had come like this. And I didn't think it would change me the way that it did. And I sure the hell, like if you had told me ahead of time, what was going to happen, I would have ne- I would have been like, that's going to destroy me. That's not going to exactly. help. Like anything. how am I supposed to come through this? Yeah. Right. I don't. I, and, and I still am like, I mean, it's still, still processing obviously, but I, I feel like I'm largely through it even though there's, you know, it's, you're never, it's never gone, but like, yeah, it, it, I'm in a, in a bizarre way, way, way happier with the person that I am now than who I was before any of this stuff happened, which is why I, I continually, uh, advocate for like, don't just access mental health care, burn everything to the fucking ground. If you have to, to get at like, I don't, oh, you lost your five day old military career. Who cares? You're still here. You're going to be better on the other end of it. I guarantee it. It's like, go engage with this, demand the care that you're entitled to and really engage with it too. Like I had a lot of great people. One of them, she was my prior A school student. Um, She attended my wedding, saint of a human being. Uh, She sent me this book on like processing trauma and uh was telling me like okay when she was basically like coaching me through my mental health journey because she had a bunch of mental health issues and she's like you don't have to settle for your first therapist you can go and if you don't like them and they're not the right one did you just tell them you want a new one and it was it was she was like my mental health mom even though she was i went through three there was one that the navy gave me and he sounded like a total surfer bro and like he was like reading straight from the textbook i was like no sir this is not gonna work (laughs) 
I got so lucky because I walked in. Shout out to Lieutenant Maxwell Anderson. Yes, I just doxed you. Um, great dude. I walked into his office. He looked like he was 12 years old. I'm like, this is not going to work. And, and I'm like a, a bit of a mama's boy. So I kind of thought a female therapist might be better. But I walked in and I'm like, just give him just give him a chance. Give him at least one full session. And he was amazing. And I, I, I loved it. Never after the first few sessions, like I remember, I think I, it was the second one. Um, I walked out and I, it was a sunny day uh, and I walked out and I had somewhere to go afterwards. Um, I don't remember where, but I remember I just walked out. I felt lighter. I felt like I had just taken off a weight vest. I was smiling for no reason. I was like, what is happening? Like it was so weird because of where I had been at and I'm two sessions in and I, I'm not saying it's going to be everybody's experience, but just, I wasn't doing anything. And all of a sudden I was doing something and I was doing something with a therapist that was really great at his job. Um, and so it just, yeah. I rem- and I told my wife about it when I got home, I was like, it was so weird. I was just smiling for no reason. And I felt lighter and like, like, like I had almost like a pep in my step. It was so strange. Cause I am not that dude. I am not a cockeyed optimist. I am not, uh, somebody that is, is traditionally going to react that way, but it was, that's just what happened. And it was amazing. And he was a great, great therapist. So I got, and I say that a lot, like I got spectacularly lucky, not just with like the timeline of me getting access to care because I, I am under no illusions that somehow there was some privilege involved where somebody decided that uh, like I needed access quicker. And I have a feeling my buddy that was the master chief idc put me on the top of a pile or something but it could have been a bunch of other things but i got really quick access to care like a couple weeks after the referral um and i got really lucky with just catching the right thing like i just got the best guy they had I, i mean and he was amazing and then uh same thing like same thing happened with some other stuff where i've i've recognized that i've gotten either spectacularly lucky by chance or spectacularly lucky that people were looking out for me in, I didn't even know. It's not like I would have never asked to be at the front of the line because I'm a master chief or whatever. It's like, that's not a thing that like, yeah, I need to see somebody, but I could have waited. Like there's people that probably need it faster or whatever. Um, cause I wasn't in that place I, that I was a year ago today. Right. Like it, at this time it was just anxiety and moodiness and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like I, I could have waited a been fine but not that you should have to but it in reality you know um so yeah that's hopefully that wasn't too rambly like i'm not great i i kind of lose some of my ability to articulate some of the stuff when i'm talking about myself and these experiences for no i think that was great reasons. and like really beneficial for the audience to hear it because you were hit by like two blows were like really close within each other and um the fact that you know your message is that you're better for it is so powerful because i feel the same way like i don't want what happened to me to ever happen to anybody else but it made me into a different person and i'm grateful for that person so yeah yeah that is my seat of triumph boom (laughs) well thank you for sharing (laughs) thanks for having me this is awesome (laughs) thanks for doing this as well um i like probably too early on to gauge uh, any kind of a, a meaningful response but people are listening i can tell you that like you've got 
probably 400 downloads on the two episodes so far. So oh, wow. That's crazy. Wow. It, typical for, for podcasts within the first 24 hours for me is usually like, um, like two, three. It, it, I mean, it depends on what it is and how interested, like the beards one will probably be big, you know, like, um, but yeah, it, it, I mean, people are listening and it's out there in the ether now. So like, I, I, I think you'll see a snowball effect and I, I can't imagine it's, it's not going to be like very positive for a lot of people. So, and well, I, if it I, just reaches one person, yep, you know, that's 100%. all I can hope for. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think you'll find that, uh, over time, it'll do a whole hell of a lot more than that. And so like, I, I'm, I'm very thankful that you're willing to do this because it's super important and it's something that I've wanted to focus on for a while now. And I just, you know, at some point I needed to like force multiply myself because I'm just well, like, here we are. Yeah, <laughs> here we are. So yeah, thank you so much for doing this as well. I really appreciate it. No, no, thank you. All right. We'll talk later. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Seeds of Triumph. That was your D-Guts podcast host. Don't give up the ship. Um, He has a fantastic leadership podcast catered towards those looking for leadership, mentorship, and really just all things Navy. Um, Please tune in to his podcast as well. And as always... If you are looking for mental health resources, please visit the link in the episode description. And if you would like to contact the Seeds of Triumph podcast, we can be reached at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for tuning in. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.